Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, for being so good. Thank you, Lord, for these praise reports, God, sitting right here, God, that there's not one of us in here that we don't have a praise report. There's not one of us sitting here that we don't have a thank you. God, that ought to be just, just running through our minds and off our lips, God, thank you, Father. You've been good, Lord. There's still some that's hurting, Lord. I can't imagine the family of the 11-year-old, God, you know. Even within our own family here at Faith, uh, the issues that, that are dealing with that and some of the ones that are going through um, some similar challenges, God, I pray, Father, you'd intervene there in those. And, Lord, each of these that's sick, God, I pray you touch them. I pray you continue to give healing, God. I just, I pray, Father, you'd be with us tonight. I pray, God, as we look here through the, the last few verses of the Acts of the Apostles, God, would you move in this place, God. We just, we're here because we want to serve you. We're here because we want to learn. We're here because we want to know more. We're here because we want to please you, God. We want to hear from you, Father. I ask you to teach us, God, that we might go out to serve you better. We love you, Lord. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I going to have a clock on up there by chance? Is that screen not on? Do I have a clock on? Somebody tell me what time it is. Huh? 7.20? Okay. Oh, yeah, we got one. Thank you, man. We're good to go. I, I, I didn't wear one, so y'all, y'all, we, we very much need that. Acts chapter 28. Paul has called for the Jews to come in. The elders of the Jews have come in. In verse number 20, he told them, For this cause I have called you to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. They said unto him, We neither received letters, Judea, neither there any of the brethren that came and showed, spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, as for as concerning this sect, talking about Christianity, this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So they make it very clear that they don't believe in what the Apostle Paul is preaching. They don't believe in this Jesus Christ. They don't believe in this Christianity business. They, they made that very clear in their statement. But in verse number 23, when they had appointed him a day, there came a man to him to his lodging, to whom or they came many to him to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. So the house is packed with Jews. This is very important that we understand this is a major event in the Bible. This is a major turning event in the history of the Bible and the future of the Bible. This is a very big day. This day is not about the Gentiles at all. This is one final plea to the Jews. This is the Holy Spirit reaching out one last time, Jerusalem has rejected Jesus Christ. Jerusalem has rejected the resurrection. Jerusalem has rejected the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Jews and the church at Jerusalem, the original church, the mother church, if you will, has rejected Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, and everything about it. And, and God has sent the Apostle Paul to Jerusalem back to preach the gospel. And they have abused him. They beat him. They've carried him out to stone him. And y'all know that's where all this started, about the middle of Acts. And all he's been through. And, and for those reasons, the Apostle Paul is now here in chains. The Holy Spirit is making one final plea to the nation of the Jews. And he is using probably God's greatest hero of faith to do it in the Apostle Paul. All day long, the text says that he explained 
the gospel. The apostle Paul has been waiting for years for this opportunity to try to reach the church at Rome. About three years ago, he wrote him a letter from when he was at Corinth to let him know how much he loved them and how special they were and how important they were. And that letter to the church at Rome literally is probably, if, you could, if, if there's such a thing as the greatest book of the Bible, Rome could, could or the book of Romans could very well stand as being that best book. It's certainly the one that best explains Christianity, best explains responsibility, best explains what Christ was about. And he wrote that letter to Rome, so he has a heart. He's waited for years for this opportunity. The Bible says that he expounded as he talked to these Jews all day long. That means he explained the gospel. He declared the principles of the Christian faith. That means he taught the scriptures. He expounded. It talks about Moses and the prophets. That is the law and the prophets and the word, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. He, he it says that he expounded on all of these things. We don't have a word-by-word -word dialogue of what Paul talked about that day, but I'm pretty sure we can come up with a word-by-word -word dialogue of what he talked about. We know from the letter that he wrote to Rome what his intentions were. We know what he's trying to, to teach Rome, but we know, I, I wouldn't doubt that he didn't give his testimony again on this day. He's given it at times past, but we've had his testimony given multiple times. We know from the things that he says, we know from his life. See, that ought to be us. If anybody just heard what we said, they ought to know what we said if they don't know what we said. They ought to know where we stand just because they know who we are. That, that, that's, what, that's what it is with Paul. I think we can know what he said even though we don't know what he said. I think you got a whole dialogue from daylight to dark. Luke can't write down all that there was or it would probably be several books of the Bible to contain everything. But if you really, I think if you take what he said and you put it all down, we really could take a look at how he covered several books of the Bible there and what he told them trying to reach these Jews. If he expounded on anything, you can rest assured it was the kingdom of God. That is his teaching. That is his life. That is everything about him is the kingdom of God. And he reminded them of all the Old Testament prophets and all the Old Testament prophecies and how, how they were put about a Messiah would come. And he's, he's telling about all the things and he tells them about how Christ fulfilled everything that the Old Testament pointed to. He would have told them all about the Old Testament types of Christ. He would have reminded them of all the stories and the, the things that they know about Abraham and Isaac at, at Mount Moriah and how that was an image of a sacrifice. He would have reminded them of like, of like Joseph, probably one of the, the greatest examples, the greatest types of Christ in the Old Testament. He would have reminded them of, of Moses and the serpent in the wilderness, just like Jesus reminded them that Moses lifted the serpent and, 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 I, and I shall be lifted the same way. But he said, as I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. I have no doubt that he didn't review that. He didn't go over over the Old Testament stuff, the law and the prophet and the, and the things of Moses. And he brought it in. So this, the entire story, everything that he talks about is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he's talking about that book and everything in that book points to Jesus Christ. Everything before Christ pointed to Christ. The book of Revelation points back to Christ, to the things that are going to happen. We're still waiting on Christ to come. So his entire story would have been 
about Jesus Christ. He probably would have expounded on the virgin birth. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I believe he would have expounded on the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the Pharisees said? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's fine. He didn't come from Nazareth. He came from Bethlehem. And Micah 5, 2 says, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. He points out, born of a virgin, came in at Bethlehem. He would have expounded on the life of Jesus. He would have expounded on the teachings of Jesus, on the miracles of Jesus, all the things that the scriptures pointed to. Isaiah 35, 5, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The, 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 then shall the lame man leap as an heart. The tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. He would have expounded on all the things that Christ fulfilled. He would have expounded on the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's another fulfillment of prophecy. It's not they got mad one day and decided they don't like him anymore. Before the foundation of the world, it was all set in motion. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53, beginning of verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is before Jesus ever got here and is already talking about his rejection. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He would have expounded on the betrayal of Christ and how the Bible told in advance that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and that it would become blood money. If you remember the deal, when he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, Judas decided, I can't keep the money. He took the money back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, what's it to us? It don't mean nothing to us. And so he dropped the money at their feet and left. And they're like, what do we do with the money? We can't keep the money. It's blood money. They had purchased the blood of Jesus Christ for that 30 pieces of silver. They had bought the death of the Son of God. They said, we can't use that for anything else. So they took it and they bought the potter's field, which is called the field of blood because it was bought with blood money. And it's the place that they bought to bury the dead. So he would have expounded. But Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 says, I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear. So they weighed for my price, 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said, un, said unto me, cast it unto the potter. A goodly price that I was prized them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. He would have expounded how perfectly everything about the life of the Christ is the fulfillment of everything you believe. You understand this is the Jews. This is the Pharisees. This is the religious elite. This is the ones who have been called God's people. This is the one that was brought out of, uh, of Egypt and, and carried through the wilderness for 40 years. This is God's chosen. This is the one that is supposed to know the law and the prophet. They know everything about this man that is being pointed to by all the book and what Paul is trying to expound is he is what you're looking for he is the one that came and fulfilled everything that you've been looking for everything that you are looking for everything that you're going to look for that sounds like for us don't it everything we've ever looked for everything we are looking for everything you're ever going to look for Christ is enough he would have expounded on the crucifixion of Christ and how it was all 
prophesied before he ever got there. He would have went over the details of the cross and how people stared at him and gaped at him and, and, and spit upon him. He would have reminded them, Psalm twenty two fifteen 15, that my strength is dried up like a pot, shirt. My tongue cleaveth unto my jaws, and thou hast brought me down into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. Remember, they beat the hide off of his bones. They beat him till his rib cage is exposed, pierced his hands and his feet. I may tell my bones. They look and they stare at me. They, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. He would have told them about how they took his garments and how the guards be, began to, to, to roll dice and to, to, to part his garments and look for it. He also would have expounded on, on why. Why did Jesus come and why did Jesus die? The why did Jesus come is one thing. They get that. They're looking for him to come and set up a kingdom so that they can rule and reign and get rid of the Romans and take over. So they think they understand some of the why. But why they think Jesus came is not why Jesus came. They think Jesus came to set them up and make them rulers over the earth and rulers over Rome and rulers over the Assyrians and rulers over the Egyptians and rulers over anybody else. Jesus didn't come to make them ruler over anything. He came to make all of us sons of the living God. So he would have expounded on why Jesus came and why he would have died. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. This isn't just the Jews he's talking to. This is our page of the book too. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears are dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He would have explained about, he probably even went back to how, how the spirit died. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God had told them that if you eat of this, you shall surely die. And they did eat of it and the spirit did die. He probably expounded on them of why Jesus told Nicodemus that night, except a man be born again. He shall not see the kingdom of God. He probably would have expounded on the necessity of the spirit being reborn. We are born without that because of sin. We're born into sin. We inherit sin. It comes by nature. We have it. But, but he made it clear that Jesus came and on that cross, God took all of my sin, all of your sin, all of our guilt, all of humanity. God took that and he poured it on his own son. But here's what else God did. He turned his back on him because God cannot look on sin. If you're living in sin and you're getting away, you understand God can't look at you in that garbage. And you know the Holy Spirit's warning against it. So God had to turn his back on his own son so he could take our sin and place it on his son so that his son could pay my debt. I wouldn't doubt the Apostle Paul didn't spend some time there trying to explain some things as, as to why he came. I believe he would have expounded on the temporary burying place of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 53 goes on to verse 8 says he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. 
I believe he would have expounded on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus told them that day they were seeking a sign. They wanted to see a sign. There's this big argument about it. I think it's Matthew chapter 12. There's a big argument, 12 or 13, and they're wanting a sign. He said, you're not going to get any sign. He said, there'll be no sign given except to be the, the, the sign of Jonas with three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Luke chapter 24, verse number 26 Jesus said, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I believe he would have expounded on that. He's got all day long, right? I don't believe he's going to miss a beat. I believe that he would have expounded on the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw it right out of the gate when we started this study two years and three weeks ago about the ascension of Jesus Christ. But before then, in Psalm 68, 18, it said, Hath ascended on high, led captivity captive. Does that sound familiar? Thou hast received gifts from men, yea, rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Even the ascension is prophesied. The return, I believe Paul would have made the return known. I, I believe if Luke's there and Luke wrote the book and Luke's involved for this and, and Luke wrote in chapter one and verse nine here in this same book of Acts, that when he spoke of these things, talking about Jesus, while the beheld he's taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why you stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. I don't believe that part was overlooked in this conversation. I mean, you, you've got the apostle Paul's the main speaker, but Luke's still there. I have no doubt that even, that even the ascension was made known. He spent from morning until evening. I believe we can rest assured that Paul left nothing out. And the Holy Spirit would have made sure of it because this is the curtain call for the Jewish nation. This is my one last shot to the Jewish nation. This is God's one last plea to those that have rejected him and turned back. I have no doubt the Holy Spirit would have made sure that Paul left nothing out. The entire scriptures were expounded upon, expounded. Imagine a man like Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a man that is taught, a student of Gamaliel, one of the highest known tra trainers uh, of the Pharisees. Uh, think of, of the education and all that he had. He's one of the most, in he is the most intelligent of the apostles. He is the most, by far, the intelligent of the disciples. He's probably one of the most intelligent in the scriptures. This is a very intelligent man. He has spent an entire day expounding on the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling them of the goodness of God, the love of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. He told them everything that he could from daylight until dark. And when it's all said and done, it came down to this. Some believed and some didn't. He poured everything he had into it. He's been waiting for years for this opportunity. He loves the Jews. It's his people. His heart bleeds for them. He would, he would sell his own self out to help them. He talked about how his Lord would just pour stuff on him. He loves them so much. He gave them everything he had. And at the end of the day, with a house full of Jews, some believed, 
some didn't. Isn't that just like the gospel? I mean, it's no, it's no different. The gospel always divides because the gospel always brings about choices. The gospel presents where people are. And it presents the same thing to everybody present, sinner, lost, or saved. So, so when the gospel is presented, the gospel divides death unto death, life unto life. It forces people to make a choice. Wherever, wherever the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is present driving choices. Everybody has to make a choice. Between the two choices, there's a great gulf fixed, a great divide, as Jesus puts when he talks about Abraham and, and the rich man. There's a great gulf fixed, a great divide between these two choices. So some of the people present, obviously, they felt the, the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Some believed. That means that some of them were saved that day. Some of them accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And some of them were rejoicing about what they had heard. Some were happy, but some were mad. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you tell somebody the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody ain't going to go away saved and everybody ain't going to go away happy. It ticked some people off. There are a lot of people that don't even want to hear it. You imagine these Jews. This is against everything they ever believed. So some of them are probably going away. I would imagine being mad, but, but some believed and some didn't. That means everybody made a choice. Now some, some may have went away and said, I don't know. I'm confused by it all. I know the scriptures and I, I, and I know what this, this Paul says is true in the scripture and I remember these things about this, this Jesus. I, I kind of see what he's saying. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused by it all. You know, probably like Agrippa. Almost thou persuadest me. That means I almost went to heaven, but I completely went to hell. I almost got saved, but I completely stayed lost. Because to make no choice is to make a choice. To not choose Christ is to choose against it. Now, here, here's why it's such an important day. I said, this is, this is God's curtain call to the nation of the Jews. Jerusalem has already rejected Jesus. They've already crucified him. They already did the dirty work for all the Jews. They, they've already rejected everything about Christ and everything in the fulfillment. But, but now they, they've even rejected the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, and remember we talked about it last week, how this Christian community here at Rome was the first Christian community formed outside of Palestine after they fled. When the Holy Spirit came and there was persecution, they fled. This, this, this is the first Christian community formed outside, not to mention one of the largest ones because it's in the capital city. And even though that one time the Jews were run out of Rome, we talked about it last week because of their, their, their bickering, the, the ones for the gospel against it, they, they've all flocked back in. And now God has sent his number one ambassador into Rome to preach the gospel for the last time. Some believed, some didn't. 
When they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken a word. This is verse number 25 of Acts chapter 28. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hear, and ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. After hearing so much truth from one of, if not the greatest of God's ambassadors, there's so much rejection. There's still so much rejection by the Jews. And so the Holy Spirit has Paul hand down a judgment. He has him, to quote, bring back. It was originally Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. Uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, given to the prophet. It began in the year that King Uzziah died. It said the original sentence was issued to the northern tribes because the northern tribes had turned their back on God. Therefore, God handed them over to the destruction of the Assyrians. So that's when it was handed down. This prophecy is written seven times in the word of God, the original prophecy there by Isaiah. But then in the New Testament, we see it six times, three times. It is spoken by Jesus Christ himself in the first three gospels. John talks about it after the triumphal entry of Jesus when, when he came in and even though he'd done many miracles and things many people still didn't believe and he handed down this judgment once again twice we'll have it by the apostle Paul when he wrote the letter to the church at Rome he wrote this warning to them when he wrote ahead before he ever got here, he wrote this warning. And now he's coming, he's offered every plea that he can to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the Jews might come to Christ, that they might be saved, that the nation might turn back to him. And the Holy Spirit has him hand down this judgment once again. The first time this judgment was, was brought in in the New Testament, it was brought in by Jesus Christ himself. There was a discussion with the Jewish leaders over the use of the Sabbath. And they were wanting to know, you know, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus asked them, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? And he, and he used the illustration, just like we do in, the, in He's Alive, that, you know, if a man had a sheep and he fell into a ditch, would you not get him out on the Sabbath day? And he, and he does the illustration, and they stand there looking at him like a knot on a log because they don't know how to answer it. So right in front of them, he heals the hand, the withered hand of the man. They're ticked off about it. They, they want to kill him. They start looking for ways to kill him. So, so Jesus goes back out and he, he begins teaching. He, he goes on and he casts out a demon that same day out of a man. And, and they begin to call him Beelzebub, prince of the demons. And, and then they, that's when they, wanted, they saw the sign and wanted a sign. He went on and, and Jesus calls them a, an evil and adulterous generation. Chapter 13 starts out by referring back to chapter 12. It says it was the same day. It's still the same. He healed the withered hand. He's cast out a demon. It's still the same day. And then there's this great debate. He begins teaching and begins using parables and he has to explain to the disciples why from now on he's going to be teaching in parables. But it was this, it was this great debate on that day with the Jewish leaders when Jesus handed down the judgment from Isaiah. It was because of this great debate, in spite of everything they saw, they still rejected him, that he handed down this judgment. This is another day of great debate. This is another day when the Holy Spirit of God has anointed his own apostle and has spoken boldly to all the people that all might be saved. And, and they have rejected it once again. And the Holy Spirit has Paul 
hand out. I, I know it's not the last time in order of writing, but the letter to the church at Rome's already been done. This is the last time judgment is pronounced. Paul wrote it to him in a letter that, that may come after Acts, but it didn't come before this. They've already read it one time. They've already seen the, the possibility of the judgment. And now Paul has offered them everything. Listen, you understand, Paul, Paul didn't bark this out of anger. Paul didn't get mad at them for rejecting. Paul is heartbroken. Paul wants to reach these people. Paul loves them people the way we ought to love that world out there. Paul loves hurting people the way we ought to love the hurting. Paul loves the lost the way we ought to love the lost. Paul loves the Jew the way we're supposed to have a broken heart for people that are dying and going to hell every day. And we say, how cute, cozy, and happy like it ain't bothering us none. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We have an opportunity to take every one of them with us. And if we just tell them, some will believe and some won't. But glory to God for the ones that will. Paul doesn't bark this stuff out of anger to him. This judgment was passed down by Isaiah 800 years before Christ ever came. 800 years before Christ ever got here, Isaiah passed this judgment down on the Jews. And now it's been handed down six more times to the Jews. Well spoken. Well spoken of you. One final time. It is handed down here to the Jewish nation. And this is the end of their plea. From here, everything turns to the Gentiles. We've already talked about the postponed kingdom. That's what we're living in. Everything turns from the Jew to the Gentile throughout this time that we're living in called the postponed kingdom. The kingdom will be fulfilled. After the tribulation, there's a thousand-year millennial reign coming. God never made a promise that he's not going to keep. It's coming. But they turned their back one too many times. Verse 28, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, that they will hear it. Wow. The Acts of the Apostles. I mean, Luke, Luke has traced the gospel from the coming of the Holy Spirit all the way up to, to this point, to the final plea to the Jews at Rome. And he says, from henceforth forward, it's going to be carried out to the Gentiles. We're going to live in the day of the Gentiles. Those other sheep, this other fold, which I have, thank God that he included the other fold. John Phillips says the story of the book of Acts will be expanded into the history of the church. A story lasting 2,000 years and one that will be fully told only at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 29, when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Boy, you can rest assured there's some arguments going on going out of this house. You know, if you tell two about Jesus Christ and one of them accepts Christ and the other one does, the one that doesn't is going to do everything he can to turn this one back. I mean, that's just a given. We talk about it a lot. When you get somebody saved, offer them a plan. We talked about it in the prison ministries. If you're going to go into prison ministry, offer them when they get out of jail, offer them a plan. Offer them a church. Offer them a place to come to. Offer them a different life. Offer them something. Because if you don't offer them something new, gravity pulls. Gravity never stops. And the old way of life is the only thing they know. And it's very easy to slide back into it. Lord, help us. Verse number 30. It says that Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. Anybody in here understand God? Why is he in jail? Why didn't he get him out of jail? 
Why don't he, he spend them two years at Caesarea in jail? Why, why, why two more years in prison at Rome? Why, why shipwrecked? Does anybody understand God? Does anybody under, understand the, the why? Why would the greatest apostle, one of the greatest ambassadors of Christ, why would he be locked up in a prison where he couldn't go preach the gospel? Why did God take his, his greatest anointed, his greatest chosen, and lock him up that he could not go out and preach the gospel? I don't know. Maybe it's so you and I have letters like Philippians. Maybe it was so that you and I have letters like the ones that he wrote to Ephesians or, or, or Colossians or Philemon. Maybe, maybe it's so that we have the, the Roman prison letters. That God wrote those, that God had Paul write those so that we have those. Because God knows we need all the help we can get. And then we finally get to verse number 1006. <laughs> 1006 verses in the book of Acts. Paul is confined in prison. And the only way he can speak is either through letters or somebody has to come to him. And here's the deal. In spite of his imprisonment, in spite of his situation, he spent all of his time not grumbling, not, not, not complaining, not questioning God as to why, but preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. <laughs> Paul is in chains. He is kept in a place where he is not allowed to leave and the place where he is becomes the centerpiece of world evangelism. Oh man. <laughs> we spent two years and three weeks to get to these verses right here. To see what great things that God is doing. He took him and put him still but the place where he is in chains and cannot leave becomes the centerpiece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter where we are no matter what our situation is, God can use us right there. God doesn't have to take us anywhere else to do anything different or provide anything different. No matter where we are, no matter how bad it may be, God can use us right there. Wherever we are, that is our mission field. If we can go and God says go, then that's our mission field. If we're confined and we're here, that's our mission field. You, you see right there, we don't have to do anything great. We just have to be obedient, and God will do something great through us. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he wrote that letter from Rome. And in the opening chapter, he said, chapter 1, verse number 12, I would that you should understand, brethren. He's writing this from his prison at Rome. The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What? Everything I've been through is to further the gospel. I'm in jail to further the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are made manifest in all the palace and in all other, all other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds, which are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some of goodwill. And one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And therein, I therein 
do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul says, God's going to get the glory. It makes no difference what happens to me. I, I'm going to preach the gospel and I am going to rejoice. In the closing statement of the letter, chapter 4, the last three verses, Paul says, Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. Listen, listen, verse 22. Actually, there's one more. I don't have it on here. This is verse 22. There's a 23. But it says, all saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Paul done reached the king's house. Paul done taught all these soldiers all this time so that even Caesar's house is listed right here. Chiefly the saints that salute you. See, he didn't, he didn't have to do anything but be obedient. God's used him even to reach the king's house. I, don't know, I made the statement a while ago, I almost want to turn around and start over again. I've learned so much studying this letter. First, first Sunday, I, I look back, first Wednesday was July 21st, 2021. 107 weeks ago. We spent about a year in 1 Corinthians, less than a year in 2 Corinthians. We spent about a year in Romans. We spent two years and three weeks looking at the Acts of the Apostles. This, this amazing story of the New Testament church and, and how it formed. Here at the end of the letter, Luke puts down his pen with Paul living a victorious life. Yes, he leaves him in prison, but he don't leave him in prison as a prisoner. He leaves him in prison living a victorious life, but that's not all. He doesn't leave him looking back. He leaves him looking forward. That's the position of the New Testament church. Paul isn't looking back at the churches that he founded. He's not looking back at the missionary trip. He's not looking at those that he led to Christ. He's not looking at others that he's helped. Paul is looking at the here and now. What can I do for the glory of God right now? He spent his time in prison every single day. What can I do for the glory of God today? Right here in my prison cell. How can God use me right here today? That's where we're supposed to be living. That, that's where you and I ought to be living life. What can I do today? I, I'm not saying it's bad to look back. It, it's good to look back on the blessings of God. That we sang in that song a while ago. So that we might be thankful. We might be reminded always to be thankful for all the good things God has done for us. And all the hard times that he's brought us through. It's good to look back to be thankful. But ministry is designed to be looking forward. Ministry is not about yesterday. Ministry is about now. Ministry is designed to be planned for tomorrow. And it's great to have plans for tomorrow. But you can't perform tomorrow right now. What you can perform right now is right now. What happened yesterday was either good or it was bad, but it's gone. That's it. If it was good, you got the rewards. If it was bad, you got grace. Either way, today is what matters. The devil would love for us to keep looking in the past because he fears our future. The devil would love for us to keep looking back so that we never see what God has planned for right now. I'm, I'm done. It's, it's 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm done. But th this is a fact. 
Our best days will never be behind us. Our best day will never be behind us. Number one, our best day is going to be the day when I shall look upon his face. My best day I know is in my future because it's the day that I stand in the presence of God, in the presence of the Lamb of God with my Redeemer. That, I, I know my best day is in front of me. But, but even here on this earth, my best day will, will never be behind me. Because God can use us right now. Right where we are. Today is the only day that we can tell somebody about Jesus. Tomorrow, Jesus don't come back. Lord willing, hopefully, tomorrow will present new opportunities, right? Anybody want some new opportunities tomorrow? Tomorrow will present new opportunities. But that's just what they are. They're opportunities. We'll do well on some. We'll balk on some. And the ones that we do well on, some will believe. Some won't. Doesn't fall on us there. The only part that falls on us is do we present the gospel. Present the gospel, blood's on their hand. But if you don't present the gospel, somebody want to say it? Blood's on your own hands. Right now. Right now is the opportunity. It's amazing after all that he's been through. And all that is there. The book closes out. Talking about the Apostle Paul spends two years here in prison. But it doesn't close out on a negative note, bad note, or sad note. It says he's in prison reaching the king's house. He's in prison, got some saints over there in Caesar's palace. He's in prison preaching the gospel full of excitement. Thankful that God's allowing him to spend another day to tell somebody about Jesus. He's in prison, but he ain't silenced. He, he may be still physically, but he ain't still emotionally. He's telling the world, and God's using him right where he's at in prison. Now, if God can use a man that kind of way to write a book that we're still reading 2,000 years later from prison, how much can God do through our life with all the blessings that we've got? With all the things that God's given us, with all the opportunities that we have every day. There's a world full of lost people walking around us every day. And every single one of them is an opportunity. Some will believe. Some won't. But it won't change the opportunity. It's the same opportunity Paul had with all them Jews that came in his house. And he didn't balk at the opportunity. He expounded on the gospel. That's why you need to read this book. The more you know, the more you can expound. And if you don't know, that's okay. Just pray and get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit say through things through you you didn't even know you knew. All we got to do is be a willing vessel. God, thank you so much for this book. God, thank you for the countless many things, God, that you've helped me to learn, that you've taught me, God, that I've not even been able to portray or to illustrate how I've learned them, God. But I thank you, Father, for allowing me an opportunity to even teach such an incredible book. God, I pray as we walk out of this place, you'd help each one of us to be more faithful stewards, more faithful servants, to be used for your good, for your kingdom, for your glory, God. That's our heart's desire, to be used by you every single day. We love you, God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God bless you. We ain't but three minutes late, but they're out of fireworks, so.